What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Sticks and Gloves podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, today we got some fun stuff we're going to talk about. Uh, we got the MLL schedule was just announced, and then today, uh, actually two hours ago, the PLL just revealed their draft order. Um, we're going to talk about their locations that they're choosing this year to play in, and then we're going to talk about the All-Star game and finishing off with some things like the new dive rule and the shot clock this year that was just introduced once again to lacrosse. To start things off, we're going to talk about the MLL releasing the 2019 schedule. And so they released this revised schedule after last week announcing that they're going to continue with three less teams. They got rid of three franchises. Um, and now they're just going to operate with the Atlanta Blaze, the Boston Cannons, the Chesapeake Bayhawks, the Dallas Rattlers, the Denver Outlaws, and finally the New York Lizards. The season's going to open up with a rematch um, of last year's finals. So it's going to be the Denver Outlaws facing off against the New York Lizards. Another good thing that I thought kept, they're trying to keep going is the annual 4th of July game, which has kind of become an annual thing, and it's typically the largest regular season game of the year. Last year, they had crowds of over 30,000, so that's a huge draw for lacrosse. That's bigger than I would have thought would be in attendance. I kind of think it's funny that this league is going to continue operating with six teams. It just makes for their schedules to be kind of ridiculous. Let's take a look here at the Denver Outlaws schedule. Starts in May, and the season ends in September. Um, the regular season ends in September. And so they play New York. They, then they go Atlanta, Atlanta, Dallas, Boston, Chesapeake, Atlanta, Dallas, Boston, Chesapeake, Dallas, New York, Boston, Chesapeake. With this type of schedule, they're kind of banking on all teams being adequate and being competitive because if one team is bad and they have them in the schedule three times out of how many games are they playing so they're playing 15 games so that would be one fifth of their schedule is just an easy game every week or every time they play that team and they're just going to get rolled over kind of makes for less of a reason to watch these games i think i'm not a huge mll fan myself it's just a little different from the normal game everyone is too good most of the time and they're scoring ridiculous shots it's pretty entertaining to watch but the problem in the past was that these games were on at crazy times and different days of the week, Mondays, Tuesdays. And so this year, the league's players advocated for a season start date after Memorial Day and an emphasis on playing weekend games. So this 2019 schedule features 41 weekend games and only seven weekend weekday games, Sorry, something that the players and fans alike uh, both call for. This is easier for the fans to watch because it's on the weekends and there's nothing else going on. And it's easier for the players, coaches, and everyone in the staff because they're not making that much money in pro lacrosse. I think it's around 30000 Actually, I was way off. I just looked it up and it's around 10000 to 25000 is the league average. Um, and the funny thing is, for articles, when you look up how much a player makes, uh, Major League Lacrosse's website doesn't even have the information. It leads you to an error page or a page that no longer exists. But I did find an interesting article by CNN back in 2015 talking about a player whose day job is finance and at nighttime he plays professional lacrosse. And it compared the salaries to other pro sports such as hockey um, where the minimum is 400000 The minimum for a rookie in the MLL is $7,000. These guys are not playing this game for the money. Clearly you're making $7,000. It's worse than working at McDonald's almost. Um, they're doing it because they love the game, and this is what is bringing excitement back into the MLL. The MLL, though, to me, is becoming a second-tier league as the PLL is kicking off, and it's started by Paul Rabel, who's pretty much the most famous lacrosse player in the world right now. Uh, he's done a lot for the game YouTube and social media. He's just really out there. Um, he knows how to get views, knows how to get viewership, 
and that's why their deal with NBC is huge, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Um, but the PLL is featuring 80 NCAA All-Americans and 30 World Championship gold medalists. Out of 150 players, 80 of them are All-Americans. This is just absurd talent. I think they're stealing all the players from the MLL. All the talent pool is gone. Not really sure who's going to play in the MLL this year. They probably have a few guys that they locked down to long-term contracts that can't leave. But all the best players that I can think of when they come to my head, I've seen them on social media posting that they're switching to the PLL. Um, the PLL is going to pay better. It's going to give you health benefits um, and a bunch of other things. But I don't know if you guys heard that last week the AAF, the American Alliance Football League, something like that, um, they just folded. They didn't have enough money. They couldn't pay players' salaries. Players had to buy their own flights to go home. Um, I'm a little worried that this is going to happen with the PLL. Um, maybe it's a little ambitious of the PLL to think that they can travel around the country, not establish any home teams or home fields, not set up in a certain city and continue to get fans, continue to get viewership on NBC, a huge network, and continue to reel in money. One intriguing thing coming up is going to be the PLL College Draft. Um, they're going to be choosing guys straight out of college, and they revealed the draft order today. It's going to be a snake order. There's going to be four rounds. Every team gets a pick, and the first round goes the Archers, then the Atlas, followed by the Chrome, the Whip Snakes, the Redwoods, and the Chaos. And it's a snake draft, so the next round um, is going to start with the Chaos and end with the Archers. So you just flip the order every time, kind of like fantasy football draft. There are going to be a bunch of interesting players coming out of college this year, specifically Pat Spencer. It's going to be crazy to see where he goes. He's going to draw a lot of media attention um, wherever he goes, and whatever team gets him is going to be getting an insane player. This dude can just do anything he wants when he's on the field. Along with announcing the draft, uh, a few days ago they just uh, announced the 8th out of 13 cities that they're going to play in. The first couple they announced are Boston, New York, Chicago, Baltimore, Atlanta, Washington, D.C., and Los Angeles. Majority of those are normal, like normal lacrosse powerhouse areas. Atlanta kind of sticks out to me, and of course L.A., although Southern California is growing tremendously uh, in the lacrosse talent pool and just the number of people playing lacrosse. So the eighth city they just announced was San Jose. Um, San Jose kind of shocks me that they chose this and not San Francisco. Most of the talent I know comes from a little more north than, than San Jose and actually what comes to mind are the high school, San Ramon Valley and San Ignatius Prep. These two high schools have produced talent year in, year out. They go back and play East or stay and play club ball. Um, so it would make more sense to be up by the powerhouses than down in San Jose where these families are going to have to drive a little bit farther or players might not want to even go because of the length of the drive. Sorry, I forgot to also mention high school Granite Bay. They just recently popped in the top 50 in uh, national high school rankings this week. And I'm not exactly sure where they are, but I'm pretty sure it's up by the Sacramento area. So that, again, to San Jose is a far drive. I think it makes more sense to be located up more closer in proximity to San Francisco. The announcement of one city I really liked, and that's Los Angeles. Southern California is also a powerhouse for lacrosse with Lacoste Canyon and Torrey Pines being located there. Um, and L.A. is pretty much the center, the epicenter of today's sports worlds with the SB Awards there every year. By having the All-Star Game in L.A., they're really putting the, the players in the national spotlight as well as catering to the brightest stars in sports who already live in L.A. It's an option for them to see something really cool that they've never been to before. And I think the L.A. Bank of California Stadium is kind of amazing for this venue. It's a good stadium. It's smaller because it's MLS Stadium. It's not an NFL stadium. I think it's ridiculous when lacrosse teams 
try to have events in these NFL stadiums and only sell out the first like two sections and the rest of the stadium is completely empty. I think it looks terrible for the sport and terrible for the team. And so having a stadium like this that the uh, San Diego Chargers or the LA Chargers played in last year where it's small enough, uh, the fans are close to the players, and it, they'll actually be able to sell it out. It will look packed on TV. This game will look super packed. The fans will be into it. I think this is just so much better than having an NFL stadium where it's all empty. I think that has been a terrible look for the MLL in the past, and it's really smart of PLL to do this. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be a championships of sorts for the PLL, but hopefully they choose to do it in a venue that is similar to the Bank of California Stadium because this is something that they nailed, in my opinion. Another awesome thing the PLL is doing is having a WPLL. This is the Women's Professional Lacrosse League. The only thing that I'm going to say about this is that it's already hard to gain an audience for a male pro lacrosse league, and there's even less chicks out there playing lacrosse. So getting people to watch professional women's lacrosse is going to be very hard, just as the WNBA has a very hard time getting viewers. They actually lose money every single year in the WNBA and basketball is a much bigger sport, so it's going to be interesting to see how long they try to keep the WPLL alive and what happens after this first year and the first test run, essentially. One last thing to wrap up the discussion about the PLL is that uh, not too long ago, they announced that they're going to partner with Cascade, and thank God. There are so many other helmet companies out there like Warrior and STX that make their own helmets that try to compete with Cascade, um, but they just make such an ugly product, and uh, Cascade really does a great job of making a helmet that looks good and does a decent job of protecting players. Helmets in lacrosse, for those of you who don't know, are just awful for protection. If you hit a guy with your head, you are going to be ringing it and you are going to feel it. It's not like a football helmet that weighs 10 pounds and after the first day your neck's sore from holding up this heavy helmet. Lacrosse helmets are super light and they basically have styrofoam in them. Um, I'm not really sure why it's so bad or why Cascade doesn't think you need more protection, but for some reason that's what we're working with now. And it's gotten better since I first played, but they're still not great. Um, but anyway, PLL chose a good-looking helmet rather than these ugly, gross options, which I'm glad they didn't give in to STX and Warrior helmets. No matter what level of lacrosse you're talking about, something new this year is they brought back the dive, and, and they also brought in the shot clock. These are two very interesting things that changed the game of lacrosse this year. So first I'm going to cover the dive. The dive for me is a sick addition because in any game, no matter what sport you're watching, you love when the players do something acrobatic. In football, if a guy hurdles a player, it might be the most exciting play all game. It makes a sick one-handed leaping catch in the end zone. You just get really pumped up. It's a good play. In the NBA, you love seeing a dunk. You love seeing crazy dunks. So the dive is kind of like that for lacrosse see an acrobatic move, a player flying across the crease. Um, it's really exciting, and I think the game needs it. But the problem is calling it. Referees have the hardest job trying to call the fastest game on two feet and let alone decide whether a player dove into the crease or he was pushed in by the defender who's trailing him with his hands on his back. So even when a player does dive, a flag is often thrown because the defensive player's hands are on his back and it may look like he pushed him. And then it's also hard to call if the player dove towards the mouth of the goal. Did he get pushed after he dove and it kind of pushed him towards the mouth of the goal? you got to protect the goalie. Anyway, it's a really hard thing to call, but I'm glad they put it back in lacrosse. Um, over the offseason, hopefully, they can figure out a way to establish maybe a VAR system like soccer where you go to the booth and review it um, to see if he actually was pushed or not because 
Oftentimes after a dive, referees stand by the goal and huddle up and try to figure it out for a couple minutes. When if we had instant replay, they could go look and say, no, goal's waved off. He left his feet. He was not pushed. Um, something like that needs to be implemented into professional lacrosse um, because this is an awesome play and we need it there. And then as far as the shot clock goes, this is good. And the only thing that I have to say about this that is bad is that at the end of the game, a team can just sit there and cradle the ball um, for if they have time left on the clock that exceeds the play clock. So if they have an 80-second shot clock and there's only 60 seconds left of the game, they're just going to hold it and stand at the top of the box, and you're going to have to try to get the ball from them. I think there needs to be a stall warning after maybe 40 seconds or something like that towards the end of the game to keep the game moving along and keep everyone into it because I've watched a game where the guy's just standing at the top of the box not doing anything, and it's just really a turnoff for the game of lacrosse. It sure is going to be an interesting summer and in trying to see what's going to happen between the MLL and the PLL and who's going to fold first. Next week we're going to have more information on the draft, um, some more to talk about, some more players coming in, and uh, we'll talk about who's on the Torton watch list and much more. Make sure you subscribe and tune in next week to the Sticks and Gloves podcast. Feel free to drop us a like, a follow on Twitter, maybe a like on Facebook. Share the podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you made it this far, I'd love if you responded, left a comment down below on some topics that we could cover for next week's podcast. That'll be it, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and make sure you tune in next Tuesday when the next podcast will drop.